Hey friends, uh, thank you for inviting us into your space today. We have a lot of different things going on at Christ Community that we'd love for you to, to be able to be a part of. Go on, head over to our website and check out the Coming Soon page so you can see all the different stuff you can be involved in. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe so you can see whenever new content is available. Enjoy the message, guys. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm really glad that you are here. Um, I remember as a kid uh, watching an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, and I mean like the original with the grainy tape camcorder footage and hosted by Bob Saget. Uh, that's the only, I think it's still going, but that's the only true one. And there was a specific home video that I remember to this day. And it's not because of how funny it was. It's because of how cruel it was. Uh, there was this family and they wanted to play a prank on their dad. So they bought their dad a lottery ticket. And uh, what they did, though, is they chose the numbers that were read a couple days prior, and they recorded the broadcast of those numbers being read. And then they gave this ticket to their dad, and they asked their dad if he wanted to watch the broadcast of that day's numbers being read. But instead of showing him that day's broadcast, they played the recording from a couple days prior to make it look like that their dad had won the lottery. And as each number is read, he gets more and more excited. And when the last number is read, he just goes nuts. Like he's jumping up and down, he's excited, he's crying, he's hugging people, he's celebrating. And his joy is painful to watch because you know that this whole thing is a lie. And then his family starts laughing. And then they tell him it's a prank. Now, I know that money doesn't make like, all of our problems go away, and I know that it doesn't buy us happiness. Uh, but you know that as those numbers are being read, that dad, he's thinking to himself that his mortgage just disappeared, and his debt is gone, the medical bill is paid, his kids are going to college, his mom has a house to live in, his family is provided for. Everything is going to be okay. And then his family starts laughing. And you watch all that hope just disappear in an instant. Have you ever hoped in something so strongly it almost felt certain that it was going to happen? Like it felt less like hope and more like destiny. You knew you were going to get that job. You knew you were going to marry that person. You knew that it was going to last. You knew your sick friend would get better. But then things don't turn out like you thought they would. That's a hard thing. This is kind of a scary question, but have you ever wondered if all of this, all, everything that we believe and we put our faith and our hope in, everything that we talk about here on the weekends and discuss in Bible studies, all the stories that we were told when we are kids, do you ever wonder if all of this isn't true? I do sometimes. Every once in a while when I hear someone describe religion as this human construct that was created to make sense out of a senseless world, to bring hope where there is none, a shiver runs down my spine and I wonder, am I that gullible? Have I been duped? Am I just 
bought into this because it sounds good and it feels good? Is this just a bunch of self-help philosophy based on what a bunch of dead people wrote thousands of years ago? And I'm a pastor. Like, I get up here and I teach this stuff. Am I complicit in convincing people to believe in something that isn't true? That's a scary thought. And the truth is, everything that we believe, everything that we've put our faith and our hope in, the entire story of the Bible, all of it entirely hinges on one moment. And if that one moment doesn't happen, all of this falls apart. None of it is true and our hope is lost. Let me explain. Throughout the entire Bible, from just after the very beginning to the very end, there is this theme that runs all the way through it. You might even argue that it is the main theme, and that is that death is the enemy. In the very beginning of all things, when God created everything and it was good, death was not part of that. It was only when we stepped away from God, the source of life, that death entered in and spread and took over and took control. And we see that all around us. Like when I'm talking about death, I'm talking about all forms of it, not just physical death, but disease and greed and racism and genocide and war and slavery and suicide, and human trafficking, and rape, and child abuse, all of these things that feel like death are forms of it. Romans says that the result, the consequences of sin is death. It's just what happens. But in the Bible, we're given this hope because it seems like throughout the Bible, God is actively opposed to death. He's fighting against it. And it even seems like he's ultimately more powerful than death. And we see that laced in all of the Bible stories. Uh, Abraham, he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac when God tells him to stop, that he doesn't have to. Uh, God parts the Red Sea to rescue Israel from annihilation. David defeats Goliath. Daniel survives the night in a den of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they walk into a furnace filled with flames and they come out unharmed. Jonah is swallowed by a whale and spit back out again. One of the coolest ones is about a prophet named Ezekiel. God brings Ezekiel to this valley filled with dry bones. And he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I don't know. And then he starts to hear this rumbling sound and the bones, they start to move and fit back together and they grow muscle and skin and God breathes life into them and they live again. And God says, I will fill you with my spirit and you shall live. Throughout the Old Testament, people and kings and prophets, they talk about this day that will come where ultimately we will be rescued from death, that death will be defeated. King David in Psalm, he says, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Job said this, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Hosea said, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. 
I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O shoal, where where is your sting? Isaiah in 25 says, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Isaiah 26, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And then they talk about this Messiah who will come and make all these things happen, who will conquer death and put an eternal kingdom in its place. Daniel in chapter 7, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then hundreds of years later, this man named Jesus shows up. And then he starts doing these miraculous things. He starts healing people from their diseases and casting out demons. He even raised someone from the dead. It seems like this Jesus, like God, has this power over death. And then he starts saying these things. Like in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He was speaking to a woman beside a well. And in John chapter four, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It seems as though Jesus is the Messiah the one who has come to conquer death. But what would it mean if the one who came to conquer death died? What would it mean if the one who came to defeat death was defeated by it? If Jesus is dead, that would mean everything that he said died with him. If Jesus is dead, that would mean the prophets were wrong. If Jesus is dead, all the hope of the stories are lost. Ezekiel stands in a valley of bones and nothing happens. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale and is never seen again. Shadrach and his friends walk into a furnace and are consumed by the flames. Daniel doesn't make it through the night in the den of lions. Goliath defeats David. Israel is driven into the Red Sea. Isaac dies on top of an altar by his own father's hand. All the good and the hope of the garden is lost. What would it mean for us if Jesus is dead? Every weekend that we come together like this, it would just be a waste of time. What are we doing? So many of us, we have built our entire lives on this stuff. We have reoriented our lives around this. We have put all of our faith and hope in this. And if Jesus is dead, we've built our lives on empty promises. The Bible itself says that if Jesus is dead, 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is dead, we are of all people most 
to be pitied. Because if Jesus is dead, then so is our hope. There was a woman who put all of her hope in this. All the Bible stories she was told, all the prophecies that were read to her. Uh, Her name was Mary, and she grew up in a town called Magdala, so we call her Mary Magdalene. And the Bible doesn't give us a ton of details, but what we do know is that for a time she was possessed by demons. And after being tormented in this horrific way for who knows how long, one day Jesus came through her town. And again, we don't have the details. All we know is he healed her, but I imagine that he found her and he stooped down and he looked her in the eyes and he said something that spoke to her soul. And for the first time since she could remember, the voices in her head went silent and her body stopped seizing And she was able to stand up and take a deep breath for the first time. And so she followed him. Who wouldn't after that? And so she followed him and Jesus went from town to town and she watched him do even more incredible things and say incredible things. And I wonder if Mary began to put two and two together and wonder if all the stories that she was read as a kid, if all the prophecies that she heard were talking about him. Could Jesus be the Messiah? Then eventually one day they made their way to Jerusalem and they spent the night there. And I imagine in the middle of the night, she got a loud knock at the door and she opened the door and one of Jesus's followers was standing outside out of breath and told her that Jesus had just been arrested. So she gets dressed and they find out that he's being held in the governor's headquarters. And so She stands in this crowded courtyard waiting for news. And the crowd goes quiet because out comes the governor and next to him is Jesus. But when she sees him, her heart sinks because he's covered in blood. He's been beaten and tortured. And the crowd starts chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And moments later, he comes out with a cross on his back. And I wonder if that In that moment, she still had hope, thinking maybe something miraculous will happen. He'll do something to stop this. Maybe he won't die. Maybe he won't be killed. But then he keeps walking and walking and walking, and eventually he makes his way to the top of a hill in the middle of a garden outside of the city. And maybe she still had hope as they nailed his body to the cross and they lifted up the cross, thinking something is going to happen. Any moment, heaven is going to break open and this light is going to shine down and they're going to see who he is and and he's going to come off of that cross and they're going to kneel and they're going to worship him for who he is. He's the Messiah. He has to be the Messiah. But that never happened. She watched him take his last breath, and he died. Any hope she had left died with him. In confusion and disbelief, they took his body off of the cross. And in the same garden that he was crucified in, there was a tomb. So they wrapped up his body in burial cloths, and they placed his body in the tomb. And by that time, the sun was starting to go down, And so she had to go back to where they were staying because the Sabbath dinner and Passover was about to start. And so she had to make her way back there. 
every single week since she had met Jesus, they had shared every single Sabbath dinner together. And for the very first time since meeting him, he wasn't there. The Messiah had died. The stories weren't true. The prophets were wrong. All hope was lost. And after what must have felt like an endless Sabbath, Mary, as soon as she's allowed to, she makes her way to the tomb to grieve and maybe even find some closure. And that's where John picks up the story. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So Mary's grief and tragedy is piled on with even more grief and tragedy because not only have they killed Jesus, but now they've stolen his body. Verse five, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So Peter and John, they come and see for themselves what Mary described, and they're a little confused by what's going on, so they head back to tell the others. But Mary, she is still devastated, and she stays there. So verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Everything that we believe, the entire story of the Bible everything that we have put our faith and trust and hope into, all of it entirely hinges on one moment. This is it, 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. All of a sudden, she realizes who she's speaking to. And in an instant, all of the hope that she had lost suddenly comes flooding back and she wraps her arms around him. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, 
Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Mary becomes the very first carrier of the gospel. She becomes the very first evangelist. And she goes to the disciples and for the very first time shares the good news. I have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, it means the stories are true. Isaac climbs down from the altar. Israel passes through the Red Sea. David defeats Goliath. Daniel survives the night in the den of lions. Shadrach and his friends aren't consumed by the flames. Jonah sees the light of day again. Ezekiel stands in a valley of bones and hears a sound as they come together and breathe. If Jesus is alive, then it means the prophets were right. Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Hosea, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Isaiah, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. If Jesus is alive, it means everything that he said is true. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He was speaking to a woman by a well and she said, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If Jesus is alive, it means death didn't win. The way that John tells this story paints this parallel picture to the very beginning of the story, to creation. In the very beginning of all things, when God created everything, on the first day there was darkness, but then he created light, and that light shined on a garden. And out of the earth of that garden, he formed the body of a man and he breathed life into that body and he made that man the gardener. And in that garden, there was a tree. And because of what was taken from that tree, it meant death for us all. But in this story, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb and the sun shone on a garden. And in the earth of that garden, there was the body of a man and God breathed life into that body. And that man was mistaken for the gardener. And in that very garden, he was crucified on a tree. And because of what was taken from that tree meant life for us all. Death didn't win. When I shared that parallel with a friend, he pointed out something I can't believe that I missed. He said, that's how John starts the entire book. And he's right. We've been looking at John for a very long time, but look how John starts the very first five verses. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus came back, there was a power shift. Since just after the beginning of creation, death had been spreading and taking over and corrupting and destroying, but for the very first time, it was stopped in its tracks and it was receding because Jesus broke death. When Jesus died and came back, he conquered death itself. In Revelation, Jesus said, I died, but I am alive and I hold the keys of death in my hands. Everyone watching assumed that if Jesus even stepped into the ring to fight death, the fight was already over and he had lost. And it looked that way too. They buried him and went home, but nobody expected for him to step out of the ring alive with death hanging limp in his hands. But that's exactly what happened. A light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Everything we believe, the entire story of the Bible, all of our hope hinges on one thing. Jesus is alive. The stories are true. The prophets were right. Jesus is alive. He's conquered death. Jesus is alive, which means we have been rescued from death. Even though we experience all forms of death all around us or read about it on the news or experience it firsthand, even though we ourselves might die, death is not the end. Because Jesus, he has rescued us from it. Just like Jesus came back, so will we. In the end, when Jesus comes back again, we're coming back with him. 1 Corinthians 15, listen. tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has rescued us from death. Death is not the end. We will be alive. And in the last day, Revelation says that death itself will die and the only thing left will be life. 
and we will be there. If Jesus has rescued us from death, if death has been defeated, that means we don't need to fear it anymore. And the fear of death, just like death itself, it can take on a whole bunch of different forms. It's kind of this twisted version of self-preservation. The fear of death can make it really easy to step into things like greed and violence and anger and addiction and selfishness and, and loneliness. And those things are suffocating. The fear of death can be so consuming that sometimes it might feel like we've already been wrapped up and placed inside of a tomb before we've even died. But if we have been rescued from death, if it is not the end, if we don't need to fear it anymore, then that means like Jesus, we can sit up, unwrap ourselves and walk out of the tombs that we're buried in now. Because Jesus didn't just rescue us from death after we die. Jesus rescued us from death now. We can walk out of the tombs of fear that we've been buried in now. Death is not the end. It didn't win. Everything, all of our hope hinges on one thing. Jesus is alive. The stories are true. The prophets were right. Jesus is alive. He has conquered death. Jesus is alive. He has rescued us from death. So yes, there are moments where a shiver runs down my spine and I wonder if any of this is actually true. And in those moments, it feels like my faith is dead. It feels like Jesus is dead. And it feels like he's been buried in my own fear or my skepticism or my doubt or someone's convincing argument. But here's why that feeling never lasts. Every single time that I have gone to the tomb that I believe Jesus is buried in, I've looked inside and it's always empty. And every time I turn around, he's standing right there. What I mean is, is the only explanation that I have for the things that I've seen is that Jesus is alive. The only explanation that I have for the stories that I've been told is that Jesus is alive. The only explanation I have for the times that I've listened for his voice and I've heard it is that Jesus is alive. The only explanation I have for the things that have happened to me is Jesus is alive. The only explanation that I have for standing up here in front of you and saying any of this is that Jesus is alive. I am so jealous of Mary. I long for the day that I turn around and I see him face to face and I hear him say my name. I wish I could have that. And I wish I could give that to you, but I can't. And it seems that's intentional for some reason. But what I can do is I can stand up here and honestly echo the words of Mary. I have seen the Lord. 
that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. I've been thinking about this stuff a lot, preparing for tonight. And what this has done is it's reminded me that when I pray, I'm not praying to nothing. I'm praying to him because he's alive. And when I sit and listen, I'm not just listening to emptiness. I'm listening to him. He can speak because he's alive. And maybe like me, before I started preparing all this stuff, maybe for you, it's been a really long time since you've spoken to him or at least spoken to him and really felt like he was listening, like he was there. So I just want to start by giving you a moment, the chance to just speak to him. He's here, he's listening because he's alive. You're not speaking to nothing. So I don't know, I don't want to guide you too much. I just want to give you just a moment and share whatever you want with him. Share what's on your heart. Thank him. Just say anything to him. Maybe kind of in the same vein, maybe it's been a while since you've just sat to listen because it didn't feel like if you did, it's like, who's going to talk? No one's there. But Jesus is alive. He's, he's there. He's able to speak. He speaks to just like our innermost being of our soul. And he doesn't perform on commands. So it's not guaranteed that it's going to happen if we listen, but maybe it's just been a while since you've taken the time to listen. Maybe he actually has something that he wants to say to you. So I just want to give you a moment and just listen.
thank you for rescuing us from death. Thank you that you would love us so much to do that for us. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to live in fear of death, but we are free to actually live. Jesus, thank you for that hope. Thank you for the fact that the friends and the family that we've lost, that we didn't say goodbye. It's just going to be a while till we see them again. Maybe this is silly, but and maybe this is not how this works, but if it is, the people that we've lost, that we miss, would you just tell them that we said hi? to the Zerbies little boy. Would you tell him that we miss them? But most importantly, would you tell them that we're excited to see them again? Because we know that we will. Because death is not the end. And that's because of you. All of our hope, everything that we believe, it entirely hinges on you. And here you are, alive with us this very moment. Jesus, thank you that we don't speak to nothing. Thank you that we don't listen to nothing. Thank you that we don't worship nothing. And when we sing, you hear it. So with that in mind, we just take time out of our night and we worship you. So wherever you are at um, coming out of this message, if um, God spoke to you or if you need prayer or just want to talk to somebody, we are here for you and we would love to connect with you. You can go into our website. There's a chat button right there. um, And somebody will be there to pray with you, talk with you, um, just so you know you are not alone. Um, We hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time.